You are now listening to the July 6th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and It's Time to Pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. We're going to be talking about valuing today on Walking Your Talk. Hi, Polly. Hi, Alan. This is Alan and Polly Heller, and we have a ministry called Walk and Talk, like Walking Your Talk. And uh, the name of the podcast is Walking Your Talk because we want to do what God says and bring it into our life. So one of the things we do as couples is, well, we... One things we do is we don't value our mate. We sometimes take them for granted or we don't value them, honor them. And one of the things we have in our communication workshop, we talk about at the end of fourth session, we talk about valuing. And why don't you describe that a little bit, Polly, what that means? Well, valuing has to do with attributing value and worth to yourself and to the other person, giving them esteem and regard. And when we do value ourselves and others, we um, accept everything that there is about them and give them verbal confirmation of that. Well, and one of the things we talk about earlier in the podcast uh, is the communistar. And so we, when we value somebody, we will disclose what's going on inside of us, our thoughts, our feelings, our wants, what we are seeing or hearing, taste, touching, or smelling. Um, so we'll be willing to share that rather than withholding it. That's right. If I, if I value my spouse, I am willing to let him know what is going on inside of me so that I'm not like withholding information and making him guess at, at what I'm thinking and feeling and expecting him somehow to magically understand me without my actually letting him know that. Right. But at the same time, there are times when I don't value myself. Maybe I have a sense of shame about something or I'm embarrassed about something or I just don't regard myself highly enough to think that I am worth actually understanding and accepting what's going on inside of me. Mm. So maybe I have a, a feeling about something that I can't accept. Like, it's not okay for me to be angry. Like, I'm not allowed to be angry. And because I, I don't allow myself to be angry, I will not, I might feel angry, but not accept it in myself. And so or I don't want you to see me angry because that would mean I'm not a good Christian. Right, exactly. Or maybe I really want something. Uh, I remember when I was in college and I 
was on the gymnastics team, and um, somebody asked me. We I was entering into my senior year, and and being captain of the gymnastics team was sort of up for uh, election <laughs> for the following year, and. And it ended up being between me and another girl on the team who was a really, really good gymnast. And um, and I said, oh, you should vote for Judy because she's she'll be a really good captain. She's a much better gymnast than I am. And one of my friends said, you're not being truthful with yourself. You know that you really want it, mm. but... It's kind of like the fox and the grapes who is jumping up and jumping up and jumping up trying to grab the grapes. And when he can't reach them, he walks away going, oh, well, I didn't want them anyway. And and that was sort of what my friend was challenging me on. You know you really want it, but you're afraid that you won't get it. So you don't admit to yourself that you want it and you tell other people that you don't really want it. Because you're afraid of being disappointed if you don't get it. So how does that work with us as couples? What's the dynamic that goes on? It doesn't have to be you and me. It could be a couple that you've seen. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe I really want to have a a really um, nice house by, by a stream or in the country or something like that. And, um... Or I really want a... Let's get a little bit more simple. (laughs) Well, maybe I really don't want to have to fix dinner, and I want you to take me out to dinner. There you go. And you ask me... That's a little bit more on um, my level here. You know, you ask me, hey, what's for dinner tonight? And I say, oh, well, I'll fix something. Rather than saying, you know, I'm really tired. I'd really like you to take me out for dinner. And then I'm fixing dinner, mumbling and grumbling to myself because you, it wasn't obvious So you to had you. an expectation that you didn't voice because you were either afraid of the conflict or you didn't want to acknowledge that you were tired. Right, or that I, that I didn't want to do the work involved in preparing dinner and I didn't want you to think I was being lazy or selfish because I wanted so you to take me So you're doing the right thing, but you're expecting something different. <laughs> Right. That's called a mixed message, and it that's is. a whole other story. But why don't we give them the the different four vif- different valuing stances? You know? Okay, right. So when it works all together in a relationship, I can be in a place where I'm not valuing myself, but I'm also not valuing you. So... Well, and so in our communication book, we talk about you're doing a lousy job and you should just quit and go home. And of course, I'm not much help either. And I make so many mistakes. And why did the boss ever put the two of us together? Right, right. So, yeah, we're we both can, lousy. We're both. Yeah. Neither one of us is worth anything. And I, and I walk around in a state of constantly being disgruntled with myself and with you. And when in in my communication with you, it comes across as very negative and demeaning. And I might be really sarcastic about myself and about you. And it all comes across in the way we communicate with each other. Well, and so that verse that we start off at the beginning, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, self-ambition is another translation. 
but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. It doesn't say don't count yourself. It just says the goal is to say there you are, not here I am. Right. I mean, it's possible for both of us to be tired and both of us to not be feeling well and but and the key still is not to acknowledge it. Exactly. And not come across in our communication with each other as if you don't matter, you don't care, you don't know what's going on with me. So the next one is I don't value myself, but I value you. So I can never do it right, but you are always right. And you're just such a wonderful shining star. And I don't know how even God put us together when I can't do anything Right. Good. Whatever you want is fine because you always know what's best. And I don't really know anything. And I don't know how to make a decision. And So then the next one is I value myself, but I don't value you. Right. So I'm the greatest. But you stink. That's right. <laughs> you don't really matter. Just be quiet. I'm going to figure right. all of this out. What I say goes. What I say is what matters. Maybe I interrupt you as soon as you start talking. I think interrupting has always been <laughs> one of my one of biggest our greatest, <laughs> uh, my My greatest faults and... Um, my mind engages when you start talking, and so then I interrupt, and then it changes everything. So how about what's the next one? So, Well, then what we really want is I value me, and I also value you. And, of course, we call that edification communication, which is giving, um, speaking to one another for the need of the moment that might give grace to the one who hears. So... It's a serving mentality rather than I have something to say to you and you better listen. Right. And I am going to be in touch with myself and know what I want and know what I think and know how I'm feeling. Well, it's not only knowing it. You also are verbalizing. Right. And so I'm, I'm expressing that to you. So I value myself by getting in touch with every part of myself, whether I deem it positive or negative, if I understand that I'm disgruntled about something, or if I understand that I'm feeling a lot of pressure, or I'm feeling guilty, or I'm feeling really sad or irritated, instead of um, just censoring, I cannot say anything negative, I can't accept that I, I have anything negative going on inside of me, I need to own it and say, yes, I, I am feeling jealous. I am feeling sad. I am feeling tired. I am feeling irritated. Right. And let you know that. But there were years of our relationship where you weren't aware for yourself. You weren't aware of how you felt. I would ask you, so how are you feeling? And thinking that you as a woman would be very in touch with your feelings and everything. But that just wasn't the case. That's right. And so your ability to reflect and figure out, well, I mean, and you would have to check in with the physical signs. Well, there's a tightness in my chest. <laughs> there's the carotid arteries are bursting. I guess I must be angry. And so how did you work through that to get to the point where you do it more often? And what, what should somebody do if they're not in touch with their feelings? Well, I think, Alan, when we were learning these communication skills in the first place, like 35 years ago, I learned 
in that very first communication workshop that there were actually physical signs that I was feeling an emotion because I I just didn't recognize it. I didn't know how to define sadness or or fear or anxiety or even happiness and anticipation. I tried to keep all of my feelings out of everything. And I for some reason I was very afraid of crying and expressing any kind of sadness or worry about something. And I actually had to describe what was going on inside of me. Well, I I feel this, you know, these butterflies in my stomach, like I feel like something is pushing up against my chest and I'm I'm feeling a tightening in my throat and I'm feeling a burning beside and behind my eyeballs and wow, I think I'm feeling anxious and sad and it was like yeah, I've got these physical sensations that really <laughs> are emotions. Right. So why is it important for us to be having this discussion on valuing? What does it do for the relationship, do you feel? I think that in valuing myself, I make it possible for you as my partner to know what is going on inside of me. If I don't know what's going on inside of me, but I want you to know what's going <laughs> on inside of me without yes, my being having to express it, that's like making you It's an you impossible into, situation. Yeah, you have to be some sort of magician or mind reader, right. especially when in the way I was raised, I think it's very important to not express any of that emotion, even though it does come out. I mean, how it's really hard to not express emotion and not have it come out in my voice or in my choice of language. But you're supposed to know what's going on in me without my expressing that to you. And then if you don't read the signs correctly, then you're not being a good husband. And then mm-hmm. I'm upset with you, but I'm not allowed to be upset with you. Yeah, so, you're in you a know, double bind no matter how very, you slice it. It gets very convoluted and right. complicated. And, of course, not everybody is like you. No, I don't. Th- Fortunately. I, I, no, I mean, you're not like me. <laughs> no, I, that's very true. <laughs> I am very different. So the the whole thing about valuing, uh, I remember Gary Smalley used to talk about honor. And honor was like you see the Hope Diamond, which was this, you know, multi-million dollar diamond. If you saw that for the first time in reality, you'd go, <gasps> and that little breath is, <gasps> is honoring. And when we don't honor one another, then the relationship starts to bind up. And I'm not sure we think about how important it is to honor or value one another. And the question is, um, you know, Gary Chapman, we've talked about this before, wrote this book called Love Languages, The Five Love Languages. And so different people feel different, feel valued in different ways. And my tendency is to value you the way I think you are going to be valued instead of being a student of what do you really value and, and giving you that, whether it's words or whether it's gifts or whether it's physical touch and closeness or special time together? 
uh, or acts of service. Acts which of is service. My number one. Right. I, that was just on the fifth <laughs> one. So that's just the opposite of what I I think. I like special time together and uh, physical touch and closeness, words of affirmation, and you want me to make the bed. Exactly. <laughs> So for different couples, it's different. And so first, we need to be aware that we even need to value. We need to think of others more highly than ourselves. Then we need to uh, deal with ourselves. What are the things that are hard for us to get out? And, and even if it's negative, but to say it in a positive way using uh, the communistar that we've talked about or closing the loop using I statements rather than you statements. And we, I don't know if we talked about the targets, but there are five different targets that we use. Tentative talk, which is just news, sports, and weather. And then we talk about uh, tentative. Uh, we're asking questions, uh, trying to gain information. Control talk, which that's never really very helpful. Sarcasm or being loud and boisterous or just shutting down and not talking at all. Or, you know, yelling and screaming, certainly that doesn't help anything. And then authoritative, the ability to say, I want you to do such and such. And we, it's with some authority. But for interpersonal communication, we want edification communication, which is speaking for ourselves, using our communistar, which is this see, think, feel, want, do, discern, those things that we talked about again in a previous podcast. Feel free to look that up. And that will be valuing because I'm disclosing what's going on inside of me as well as I'm asking you what's going on inside of you. And if I value you, I want to let you know what's inside of me. And we call that intimacy into me you see. But I can't see if you don't see. If you don't even know how you feel, how do I know how you feel? Right. If I'm not going to crack open a door or a window so you can see what's inside. But one of the things that causes us not to be able to share that is fear or shame or, um, you know, the last time I opened up, you were not very happy with what I said. And so if I can't accept that you're anxious or you're feeling bad about yourself because I don't think you should but you are feeling bad about yourself, you want me to say, boy, honey, I'm sorry, you really, you must be feeling bad about yourself. You're, you're telling me you're feeling bad about, instead of me saying, don't feel bad about yourself. Right. That's not valuing you. So the first step is to, for me to be aware of what's going on in me. The other thing is, how do I value you? What, what are the things that you find valuable? And then be able to share in that rather than, uh, you know, we as men tend to want to fix things. So I'm thinking if you give me a question and you say, what do you think about this? And I give you an answer. I'm thinking you want the answer and you're going, no, I just want (laughs) to just talk about it. I I don't want you to give me your answer yet. Right. Exactly. Because if you want to jump in and fix me, then to me, that is not valuing. But if if you just feed back to me what I have said about myself, I'm really feeling upset, I'm really feeling anxious and worried, I need you to say, oh, so 
you're feeling anxious, you're feeling worried, you're you're upset about this. Is that is that right? And then I can say, yes, that's exactly how I'm feeling. So many times it makes us feel uncomfortable to hear our spouse's view. And for men, we usually just give a one-word answer. For women, they want to talk a lot more and sort of ruminate on it. So this is Alan and Polly Heller. We're talking about walking our talk in the area of valuing and how we value one another. What are some of the things that stop us from valuing? Well, it's not being aware of what you do value and not giving you what you need. And uh, one of the positive things that happens when we value one another is we build one another up. We edify. We are able to feel more a part of one another's life because we've disclosed what is inside of me and uh, are willing to share it. Well, and if I know that I am safe in disclosing something negative, then I feel more connected to you Mm. because I feel that sense of safety. So our encouragement would be that you become aware of are you valuing your mate? Are you edifying them for the need of the moment, giving grace to them as you speak to them, or your actions? What are the actions that are speaking value? Or what are the, the uh, things they need to hear from you that make them feel valued? Not what do you want to say? How do they feel when you say these words? Are they feeling valued and built up? Or are they going, that does not help me at all? <laughs> So we encourage you, value one another and walk your talk. We'll see you next time. This is Alan and Polly Heller with Walking Our Talk. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org. Never ever
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary PHX in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is A Compassionate Touch, based on Mark 1, 40-45. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. Well, let's open our Bibles now. Mark chapter 1, let's look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will or I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and set him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it. How can you keep quiet when Jesus heals you, amen? And it spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. In other words, there was no place he couldn't fit. Once he walked into the crowd, the streets were jammed, so he had to go out and basically go to desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter, so they'd have to meet outside from that time on. Let's go back to verse 40. It says, a leper came to him. 
Leprosy. I mean, the very word gives you shudders, you know. It's caused people to shudder for thousands of years. Uh, Leprosy is dreaded. It's so dreaded that they've changed the name to Hansen's disease. So if you say, I have Hansen's disease, it's different than saying I have leprosy, right? And sometimes we use the word leper to talk about somebody who's just really marginalized, you know. They're treating me like a leper, right? You've heard people say that. Nobody says they treat me like a Hansen's disease, right? (laughs) So it's helped that term. But leprosy remains a major health concern in with millions of cases worldwide, especially in South America and Asia and India. And it has in the past and continues to be a cause for social ostracism. It causes gross body disfigurement, uh, paralysis, and uh, other things. Throughout the Bible, leprosy was considered to be a curse and it was represented the way that sin worked. Now, we know it's not a curse from God, but it was seen that way during Bible times. And it is, in a way, a pretty good representation of how sin works in a life. I just want to look at a few things, a few reasons why. It's used in the Bible to represent sin because there is no human cure. There still isn't a cure for leprosy. No one has a cure. And if we're paralleling this with sin, there's no cure for sin, right? Uh, There is no way that sin can be cured. The only way sin can be taken care of is for it to be removed. And that's what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross for us, amen? He removed our sins, but sins can't be cured. Leprosy also caused separation. Until modern times, lepers were ostracized and avoided at all costs. They were banned from cities, they were banned from any social events, they were separated from their families because people didn't exactly know how it was spread. And so as a result, they were quarantined and while the disease is slowly destroying their bodies. The worst thing, the most insidious thing about leprosy is the way it works numbing a person's body. See, leprosy attacks the nerves. And as the bacterium affects the nerves, your body loses the ability to feel pain. And so most lepers begin to lose fingers and limbs through secondary infections because you can reach out and you can touch like a burning stove. You can touch it and you don't feel it. You have no feeling at all. Well, as a result, secondary infections can come in and so people would die. Well, eventually they would, but fingers would, would, be, uh, would rot. I'm just going to be frank. You'd lose hands, you'd lose fingers, you'd lose feet or toes. It attacks the mucous membranes, so the membranes in the nose would die. People lose their noses. People would go blind because fluid in the eyes was dried up and they couldn't blink. Horrible disease. I remember as a little kid... They show us pictures, and here we went, and they show people in their native costumes, and then we saw the lepers, and we're like, because they have no fingers or hands, some of them had lost feet, some of them had no uh, noses, and as little kids were going, totally freaked out. I don't want to go to Africa, you know, we're thinking everyone in Africa is like that. It was scary for us, absolutely scary. 
But what has happened is because of the way that leprosy works, a numbing effect has caused this loss of body parts. It's a terrible thing. It's slowly numbing the senses. And that's the way sin works too. Sin slowly numbs us. It works just like leprosy. Like, ask yourself a few questions. Ask yourself a few. I was thinking of this one, like, does my conscience feel numb when I do things I shouldn't do? Then that's sin working like leprosy in your life. Do I no longer feel regret for sin? Again, that's like leprosy working in your life. Am I losing my feeling for what is right and what is wrong? Now, our society is completely leprous when we think of how it's lost its feeling for what is right and for what is wrong. It's not even there anymore. And yeah, we're losing because of that. It's not a good sign if you're experiencing any of those things because the reality is you've got a problem because you can basically put your hand in the fire and not feel how burned you're getting. You don't feel the hurt. Sin is similar to leprosy in another way because it's contagious. Nobody knew until a short time ago how it was communicated and we're thinking it's through respiratory deposits of some kind. In other words, it's kind of like the flu. You got to be careful. That's why there was this quarantine. Stay away. According to the law of Moses, you were to stay 150 yards away from people if people were downwind of you and 100 feet away if you were just close to people in any situation. You were to shout, unclean, unclean so that people would know. You were to keep your head uncovered because leprosy will turn your hair a yellowish white. So people would know just by seeing you, there's a leper. Leprosy, like sin, caused endless separation. Let me go back and say one more thing about it's contagious. You know, sin is contagious. How is it contagious? You know, if you hang around the wrong people, you generally will be the one affected by them. You've got to be careful who you hang around. Now, of course, we've got to hang around people who don't know the Lord because we're living in a world. We want to reach the world, share Jesus. Amen? All of that. But there are some people that you know in your life that bring you down. You've got to stop hanging out with them. There's been, I mean, some guys that I've known and I've loved, but they started hanging out with the wrong people. And I said, you got to stop it because the Bible says, let me see where, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. And I said, you know, you can't hang out with him anymore because he's bringing you down. But who listens to me, right? And now that guy's far away from the Lord. Both of them are far away from God because you got to be careful. Sin is contagious. So watch out. I mean, if you're on a mission and you're going in and your mission is to share Jesus and come out, that's fine. That's what we're called to do. But otherwise, be careful. Leprosy, like sin, I started to say, causes endless separation. Leprosy sends its victims into separation. It's, they're wisely quarantined. But in Bible times, they were quarantined. Again, you don't know how it's communicated. You don't want to catch it. 
And so as soon as you had that diagnosis of leprosy, you immediately had to leave your family. Can you imagine? Okay, moms and dads, dedicated children, you immediately cannot see your children anymore. I mean, you might see them 150 feet away. You can never hold that baby again. You'll never be with your wife or your husband again. You can never come in on holidays and be with family. You now can only live with other lepers. Separation. Sin causes separation. It causes separation from God. The wages of sin is death. It's separation from God and separation from people. How many times have you seen sin just destroy families? Families are ruined. Kids are hurt because of sin. I mean, it happens all the time. It causes separation and terrible pain. Okay, with just kind of getting a feel for the tragedy of leprosy and how it parallels our experience with sin, let's go back and look at verse 40. This person with leprosy came to Jesus, and a leper came to Jesus. That's pretty amazing right there. That's supposed to grab our attention. Dr. Luke in Luke's gospel, he says, and, and a man full of leprosy came. And so Luke was a doctor. He's looking at the guy. This guy is devastated by, and maybe he didn't have appendages. Maybe he had lost some fingers. Maybe he had lost some toes. Maybe his nose was caved in. Who knows? But this leper, he came to Jesus. I get the feeling, and I don't know, I was talking to other people about this. They didn't agree with me. It's okay. But I get the feeling that maybe he came more than 100 feet close to Jesus. I don't know if that's the way to say it. He came, do you know what I'm saying? He, okay. He moved in. Of course, what would that have done to the crowd? And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you could heal me. That's faith, amen? And he's saying, I believe you're the Messiah, and if you are willing, you could heal me. Probably his stench preceded him. The horrible, horrible smell, this guy's breath, his, the gangrene and some of his putrid smell. And there he is. A hopeless case, no cure. Lord, if you're willing. There had to be a something about Jesus that, first of all, a leper would have thought, hey, it's worth the chance. There had to be something about Jesus that made the leper believe there was hope for him. There had to be something about Jesus that believed that Jesus wouldn't reject him like everybody else did. You know, according to Jewish law, of an interpretation of the law of Moses, you know the rules of people, it was okay to throw rocks at lepers. So they were despised. Religious people, not every religious people, but I'm going to say the, the religious leaders despised them. But who is Jesus? Jesus comes, and it says, moved with compassion. Look at verse 41. Your Bible says pity, doesn't it? And moved with pity. Put a little marginal note and say compassion. I think compassion is a little bit better translation of the word. It is a better translation of the word. It should say compassion. Pity. Oh, I pity you. I feel such compassion for you. The word compassion comes from a Greek word that means, I'll put it this way, internal organs. We say, my heart really went out to him. Right? What are we saying? 
on the inside, we're feeling for somebody, right? My heart really goes out to you right now. I mean, we feel on the inside for people when we really are having compassion for them. And so, and moved with compassion. And we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark, it talks about Jesus' compassion a lot. And moved with compassion. This is a compassionate Savior. Everybody else is, is avoiding this man, is put off his look, his appearance by his smell, and moved with compassion. I mean, think about it, okay? Let's say that guy represents me, a sinner. God, Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, right? The Father's heart, the Son. And Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father, right? What's the heart of God toward a person who comes to him feeling absolutely hopeless, defiled, and rejected? What's the heart of God? He has compassion. Amen? Compassion. That's the heart of our God toward the hurting, the helpless, the rejected, those who feel defiled. He has compassion. You know, sometimes you feel as though, depending on your background, maybe you've been raised in a legalistic environment where you feel that if you haven't been perfect, then God is mad at you. That's where I was, and I blew it. I blew it a lot. And so I thought God was mad at me, so I'd be mad at God. Others just don't know God at all and figure like, God wouldn't touch me with a 10-foot pole. God would want me to stay 150 feet away from him. I'm not a religious person. But then I realize as I, I know more and more about Jesus, it's not Jesus' heart toward me at all. He's not mad at me. Even though I was a leper, so to speak, he wasn't mad at me. He was moved with what? Compassion. And no, it's not the heart of God that you stay 150 feet away. It's not the heart of God. God has moved with compassion. Lord, if you want to, you could heal me. And Jesus didn't have to well, think about it for a minute. Jesus didn't have to think about it. Jesus goes on to saying what? I am willing, and what does he say? Be clean. Okay, pause right here. I want to run on, but I got to say something here. If you are willing, Jesus, if you want to, you could make me clean. He didn't say healed. And then Jesus said, I'm willing, be, he didn't say healed, he says, be what? Clean. Because leprosy, again, represents sin, and sin makes us feel dirty. It doesn't make, yeah, sin sick, we could say. But sin, the problem with sin is it defiles us. It makes us dirty. Jesus, if you're willing, you could make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. You know, something that is really cool in this verse, you know, I don't ever, when I share like the original language stuff, want to make you feel like what we have in the English isn't enough. It's totally enough. But there are a few little tiny things that, that if you, you study the language, you see that we don't see literally translated for us. So can I share with you something that's so cool? So when Jesus said, I am willing, be cleansed, we kind of get the idea, can I touch you? We kind of get the idea that he went like this, I'm willing to be cleansed. Actually, what the Greek says is as he was reaching out to touch, he, the leper, was instantly healed before he even touched 
the leper and said, be cleansed. You get this feeling. I mean, what I see is the power of Jesus is be cleansed. And then he touches. The important thing that we know is the leper was cleansed and then the leper was touched. But the power of Jesus was there. Be cleansed. And it's just to me, it's so cool because I always thought, oh, he has to touch literally. No, he just was, hand was coming to you. Be cleansed. And then something happened. Because I don't think that leper stayed looking like a leper. And I think that was part of the huge testimony. I believe it doesn't say, but I'm going to use my little sanctified imagination here. And I believe that the leper was restored. What do you think? I think the leper was restored just like the guy that we read about the story that is coming up about the paralytic, all of a sudden he got up. He hadn't walked for years. He got up and on, with muscles that should have been atrophied and, and he should have had physical therapy. Remember that? Instead, he jumps up and he's walking out holding something heavy. See, when Jesus heals, Jesus heals completely. When Jesus heals, people see a difference. Amen. And people realize, hey, this guy's hair isn't yellow, whitish anymore. Look at this man. Look at him. He's healed. Luke said he was full of leprosy. He's not filled with leprosy anymore. And the very power of Jesus. I love it, don't you? Superhero stuff. Be healed. Then he touches him. The touch is important. Why is the touch important? But some of you already know. If you touched a leper, you became unclean. So... If I touched you and you were a leper, I become unclean and I have to be put in quarantine for a week because I might have caught it. Even further than that, if a leper sat on a chair and then I sat on it, I became unclean and I had to be quarantined. If I drank out of your cup, you were a leper, I drank out of it, I have to, and the cup has to be destroyed. That bench, or that chair, by the way, has to be destroyed. The only things that couldn't be cleaned after a leper had touched them would be something that was stone, and the stone could be purified. The woman with the issue of blood that we'll be reading about, any place she went or touched became unclean the same way. So there was these laws of purity and extreme laws for, of for hygiene, you know, because they didn't want disease to spread. So by Jesus reaching out and touching the leper, he became what? No. I would say he became unclean. Oops. But he didn't. Why could Jesus touch someone unclean? Not get unclean himself? I'm going to tell you a little side thing. According to Jewish law... There's only one thing that can never become unclean, and that is the Torah scroll. The Word of God, the Torah scrolls. You know what I'm talking about? They can never become unclean. The Nazis took them out of, stole them out of synagogues during World War II, tried to defile them. They took some of the scrolls and they made soles for shoes out of the leather, you know, their leather. I mean, just defiled them, but you know what? None of that could defile the scrolls. The word could never be defiled. Jesus is known as the 
Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him. You see, because he was the Word of God, he could touch anything and he never would be defiled. Amen? So the man is healed. Jesus warns him. He sternly says, don't tell anyone. I know God never asks us to do something that he won't give us the grace to be able to do, but I think maybe that was a time when it was a little over the top. Don't tell anyone. Are you kidding me? How could I keep my mouth shut? Come on, I'm going to see my family. I'm going to be reunited with our kids. I'm going to spend the next holiday with my family. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. You judge him. I'm not judging him. The people were excited. Now, I do want you to see verses 43 and 44. Look at this. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And this, Jesus gives him three commands. He says, well, four. But he says, say nothing to anyone. But here's the first one. Show yourself to the priest. Second, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded and third, for a proof to them. Three things. You know why he commanded those three things? Well, first of all, the priests were supposed to examine a person with leprosy, and if they were the ones that, that would declare the person clean, leprosy is all gone, and they would say they're clean. So go show yourself to the priest, and their the words... I'm not afraid for what has happened to be examined. This is a real deal. So go to the priest. Offer the offering. And by the way, if you look at Leviticus, the offerings, it is one of the most complex set of offerings and rituals, plural, that took eight days involving multiple sacrifices, multiple offerings, blood, a ton of oil, wheat offerings. I mean, it was a huge, involved, expensive, because lepers couldn't afford to do all this stuff, so the temple had to pay for it, service. And there is no record that a leper has, had ever been healed. No biblical record. You say, oh, but what about Naaman? He was a Gentile. Oh, what about Miriam? That was before the Mosaic Law. So from the time the law was given until here, there is no record of anyone ever being healed of leprosy. So Jesus sends this leper to him, to the priest. And now the priest is going, this guy is cured. Was he really a leper? Oh, yeah. Full of leprosy. And you can look at Leviticus 14, I believe it is, and you can look. I read it to my family. You know, I said, look at this. This is crazy. Because now the priest... There was so much to do, and it was a proof, as a proof to them that you've been healed. Okay, you're insisting on Leviticus. We're not going to read it, but I'll make sure you know the, the right reference. It's Leviticus 13 and 14, the intricate rituals and all. Then Jesus heals more lepers, and more of them are going to the temple, and the priests are going, we've never done this before. There's never been any lepers healed before. And so they're having to bring on an extra crew of priests because this takes priests a lot of time and more lepers. This is very significant for another reason. There's layers going on here. 
Another reason is the rabbis say, like in the Talmud, very important Jewish writing, the rabbis said that you would recognize the Messiah because he would be with the lepers. He would be with the lepers. And the rabbis taught that the Messiah would perform three specific miracles. They're all right in front of us. First of all, he would cast out demons. What happened? First incident that is recorded. The demon-possessed man in the synagogue is restored, right? And it specifies that a mute man who is demon-possessed would be healed. And Matthew talks about that happening. Secondly, that the lame would be healed. The Messiah would heal the lame. A lame person was healed. Thirdly, the Messiah would heal lepers. He would heal lepers. Isaiah 35 said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus was fulfilling the expectations of the rabbis. He would heal the lepers. When Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest as a proof, what is Jesus proving? You got it, that he is the Messiah. Okay, these are your expectations, people. I've done it. Word's gotten back to the priests. I've done it. And everybody knew this. This is why the people got so excited every time Jesus did one of these miracles. It says his fame spread abroad, or the people are saying, could this be the one? I mean, you see those statements at the end of every one of these miracles because the people had this expectation that yes, the Messiah would cast out demons, the Messiah would heal the lame, he would open the eyes of the blind, those who couldn't speak would be able to speak, and lepers would be healed. And Jesus is doing all the things, all the miracles that were expected. And we'll look at this later, but it makes sense then that when John the Baptist sent people to check to see if Jesus really was the Messiah, remember John was in jail and he was bummed, and he's thinking, you know, just having a weak moment and thinking, well, maybe my cousin isn't the Messiah. Jesus responds, he says, hey, go back to John and tell him. Report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. What is he saying to John? John, I am the Messiah. You know what to look for. I'm doing every single thing the Messiah is supposed to do. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. And see, when we understand some of this background, the story comes even more alive, doesn't it? Mark's gospel, note this, Mark's gospel records very, very little narrative. It records very, very few of Jesus' words. Like Matthew is sermon after sermon of Jesus and a lot of dialogue of Jesus. Mark rarely has Jesus saying anything. But in this specific time, Dealing with a hopeless, desperate person. Jesus speaks. Mark says, I've got to let you know what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am willing. I want to heal you. 
be cleansed. Those are the words of Jesus. I would say if Jesus were right here, there are no lepers here, you know. Nobody has physical leprosy here, but you may feel like you've got a case of spiritual leprosy. And if that is so, our Savior, Jesus the same yesterday, he's the same today, he's the same forever. Jesus would say the same thing to you. Lord, I know if you could, you could clean me up. I know if you could, you could forgive my sins. I know, I know that you could do that. And Jesus says, I absolutely can and I am willing. I'd like for us to bow our heads right now. I want to pray for you. Maybe that's where you're at right now. I want to pray for you. I want to ask God's encouragement for you, okay? So let's just bow our heads. I want to pray. Lord, we have to respond to this word of good news. This is beyond what we could imagine, that you could take the hopeless, those who feel defiled, disappointed in life, separated, in pain, maybe wondering how these things could have happened to them, and they could dare come to you and realize, is there hope? And you said, yes, I am willing. What can we say to that but thank you? And for those, Lord, here who in some way relate to this man, they somehow relate to some point of this incident, probably relating to the point where you are saying, I'm willing. And we see this heart that you have for us. Maybe for some reason we just haven't experienced your compassion. I want to pray, Lord. Just want to pray that that understanding of you, that that knowledge of you would increase. That we'd realize that you don't have compassion on us because we're great or we're good and when we fail, your compassion stops. It says the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. His compassion never fails. It never comes to an end. It's new every morning. Hey, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to come front. I'm not going to ask you to, to do anything but this. But I do want to pray for you wherever you are. And it's just between you, God, of course, and me. But if there's something in this story that's spoken to your heart, and of course this doesn't mean, you know, you're some terrible sinner, but there's some revelation here that has really spoken to your heart, and you say, you just kind of want to say, really get involved here for a second, and you say, God, you've spoken to me. If that's your experience, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. You've spoken to us, and we want to hang on to that word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.
are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour of our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to aid in the spiritual maturity of our listeners. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through internet broadcasting or through our CD delivery program. Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. All you have to do is search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to listen to or download this week 
or past week's programs, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Coming up next is It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I'm the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. Today's first scripture reading is from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 6 and 17 through 23. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. The next scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
the Greek word for unity in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 is henatis. This word means oneness, unity, agreement, and unanimity. It is especially the God-produced unity between believers and the harmony from sharing likeness of nature with the Lord. I pray that as we meditate and pray His Word today, we will hear the heartbeat of Jesus' prayer for our unity in His agape love. Jesus, we enter into heavenly sanctuary and praise Your powerful name as we rejoice and overflow with gladness. You are the one and only, the great and glorious God. It's here in your presence that we passionately seek you with all of our hearts. Please show us your magnificent glory, your display of wonders, miracles, and power makes the nations acknowledge you. You are the God of love who has graciously given us the gift of eternal life. Continually reveal yourself to us. We want to know you in your Holy Spirit and truth. We desire to grow deeper in our personal relationship with you. Father, open our eyes so we can see what you are doing. Open our ears so we can clearly hear what you're speaking. And ignite our hearts with burning passion to love you and manifest who you really are through our good works and the fruits of our radical obedience in humility and purity. Jesus, as we meditate on your word, we hear your loving voice calling us to be united as one in your love. Your love is supreme and binds us all together in perfect harmony. It is the beautiful mark of true maturity. Father, we humble ourselves before you and repent for breaking your heart with our pride and discord among us as your church. Please forgive our disunity, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, judgments, arrogance, and every form of impurity. Lord, cleanse us from all unrighteousness and sanctify us in your truth. Please fill us with your abundant grace. We will obey your word and choose to forgive each other as quickly and completely as you forgave us in the power of your divine love and compassion. Teach us how to truly love each other with tender humility and quiet patience to always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward each other. Show us how we can faithfully guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among us in the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit as we are all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Father, we have received your words and wisdom. We carry them in our hearts. 
please unite us to join together as one in your Holy Spirit, in truth, love, and purpose. We want this world to know the beautiful manifestation of your endless love that you have for us and your glory that streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the fame of your holy name. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>